to another episode of Please Don't Make Me Watch. On this week's episode, you can expect chats over pancakes and coffee, diplodocus drama, surreal summer camps, and rooftop silver stilettos. Lovely, Sam. So what, what have you been watching this week, apart from our chosen few? I think this week, both of us, really, yeah. we've been watching the fourth series of RuPaul's Drag Race All-Stars. One of the best series of all time, I would say. It's, I think it's up it's there up with All-Stars 2. I think All-Stars 2, for me, just tips it. Mm-hmm. All-Stars 2 has two of my favourite queens ever on it, though. Katia. Oh. And Alaska. Oh, and Alaska. Yeah, that is fair. But this season has just been so open. So open. The race is so open. We're yeah. both very much Team Manila, though. Team Manila. Oh, with an outside Team Monique. Yeah, I mean, I'm actually Team Monique, but in terms of who is actually going to win, win Manila. Yeah. Like, we love, we love her. I love that Manila's come back being like, you know what? This is why I was great on season three. This is why I was unappreciated in All Stars 1. Here I am. That Eleganza After Dark look is one of the best looks that's ever been on Drag Race. I mean, all of her looks are impeccable. So good. So good. So good. A toot. A toot. A, a shoot, one might even a say. Shoot. It's above a toot. Is it? A but shoot then, from us. I think with, with Monique, what I'm really enjoying is that I loved her on season 10, but I just felt like she got sidelined a lot. A lot of the challenges I thought in season 10, oh, Monique's going to be the top, and then she wasn't. Yeah. Like, I think the dating app one, her going, action, is one of the most memorable things <laughs> from that challenge. In the drag con panels, I thought she was really good mm. and just got underappreciated went home when she should have gone home based on that lip sync. I think the nicest thing about this season is that it's a lot of very, very good queens mm. who I do feel like are underappreciated on their season. Agreed. Whereas also, too, I love, but I felt like I appreciated those queens anyway, and then I was just seeing which one was the best. Whereas this one, I'm like, oh my god, genuinely, you guys have all stepped it up. Who is going to win? I think, while I really loved All Stars 2, All Stars 2, it was obvious Alaska was going to win. Yeah. And, but I kind of then liked that because I thought, well, what happens if Alaska doesn't win? So Alaska having that meltdown in the top mm. five is TV gold. Whereas All Stars 3, I think it, the, with an All Stars, there should be two ways of doing it. It's either a really open field like All Stars 4. Yeah. Or, or an obvious. An obvious winner like All Stars 2. All Stars 3, basically, it was going to be Shangela, Trixie, or Bender the Creme. Yeah. And it was Trixie. Yeah. Undeservedly, but it was Trixie. Oh, we love you, Trixie. We love you, Trixie. Oh. Out of that top two. Trixie deserved to win. Yeah, yeah, I understand. Out of that top four, no. Hmm. Probably should have been Shangela. Anyway, we should stop talking about this because it's not at all relevant to the podcast, but we love you, RuPaul's Drag Race. You're the best. Please sponsor us. If you're noticing a change in audio quality, we're using a new microphone that neither of us are quite sure how to use. And Alice is eating popcorn during the recording like a really professional person. So this hopefully is all going to go well, but if it suddenly cuts out, it should be fine. On with the show. Finishing my popcorn. So first up this week... We had a great show, one of the coziest shows I've ever seen, and one that most of the women in my life that I know and love also love. The amazing Gilmore Girls, you have to watch the first episode. Um, Gilmore Girls is a season that ran from 2000 to 2007, although there was another follow-up episode like years later. Created by Amy Sherman Palladino, who also created The Marvelous Mrs. Maisel, which yes, I haven't seen I've yet, seen but I really would like to. It follows a single mother called Lorelai Gilmore and her daughter Rory, who live in Stars Hollow, Connecticut, which is like a fictional small town which is filled with colourful characters and everything basically goes okay. That's the plot, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah, I'd, I'd give you that. Okay, I'm, I'm just already dreading this, but what did you think, Sam? Okay, so for context, we have recorded this episode twice. This is the second time we're recording this episode. The first time we have to scrap the recording because one, Alice hadn't watched the film yet. Uh... No, that's true. <laughs> and two, because the audio is corrupted. And so I thought, 
I think I was a bit unfair on Golden yeah. Girls the first time we recorded this. So I went back and watched it, and everything I said the first time stands. You rewatched it. I rewatched oh, it because I thought if someone if oh. someone is so passionate about the show, then surely I'm missing something. And you no, are. no, I stand by oh my God, that it's really quite boring. No, okay, so. I agree that it's boring, but only over multiple seasons. I feel like the actual episodes, like the one-off episodes, are great. I feel like, as a show, it does its shtick to death. Mm. And then, and also, they just mess, like Rory messes people around. Oh, Rory Gilmore is objectively awful. She's such a nasty person, but like, you somehow are supposed to support her. I was chatting with my my boss about this literally (laughs) yesterday or Friday. It's famously not boring. Like it's famously witty dialogue. I got none of the wit in the dialogue. I I think what you say about Rory is really interesting because I think if Rory was written as the villain of this show, it would be (laughs) way better. The fact that Rory Gilmore is not the villain of Gilmore Girls is a travesty. But is she? I don't. I don't think she's. I don't think she's the villain, but I wouldn't say she's the heroine. Like, I think they criticise her. I think they do, but I think it, ultimately she gets a sympathetic portrayal. Yeah. Whereas I think but isn't that like, sympathetic to everyone? They're Laura, never like, earns anymore. the sympathetic portrayal she gets, but she doesn't, doesn't go anywhere. For me, in this first episode, I mean, I've written... It's weird for me seeing Alexis Bedell, who plays Rory Gilmore, in anything other than The Handmaid's Tale, because that's all I'd seen her in. But I... Um, Sisterhood of the Travelling Pants. I've seen Sisterhood of the Travelling Pants. <gasps> That's, another, that's a whole other show. <laughs> okay. Um, but I, it's when she finds out Rory gets into this school and she just is so ungrateful to like what her mother's done. and Because her mother's yeah, been a bitch to her whole life. But then again, like take the opportunity that's handed to you. It really rubbed me up the wrong way that scene. Also, a lot of the side characters I had issue with. Like, I thought the French receptionist was bad and I hate it. No, I, I like didn't funny. find him funny or charming or kind of bitchy and catty. I just found him annoying. Oh. Melissa okay. McCarthy is in it, and that's she's what great all I can it. say. She, I love her in it. I mean, she's clumsy and she's a chef. Yeah. What she's else adorable. does she add? No one needs that big of a character in this show. I think. Uh, I disagree. I, I think I think needed to refine its characters in a way for me, and I think that's my major issue with it is. But I think it does as it goes on, and it's all about the like, the fact that the town will stick up for anyone, and how they learn that even though they have a massive drama and they're not all perfect people, they kind of come together in that classic American way. I, I never got that from this first episode, and from watching this first episode, it wouldn't have inspired me to watch more of it. Okay. Because I struggled to get through this first episode, because I was oh. bored. And, but then again, I can see why people like it because it is the foundation of it is this relationship between this mother and this daughter. And oh, well, mother, mother, daughter, if yeah. that makes sense. Like grandmother, mother, daughter. I think there's like the really difficult female relationships at the, the heart of it are so interesting mm. because they are intrinsically, like it wouldn't work if they were men. They no, are intrinsically because it's, they're women, but they are also very nuanced in a way that you don't necessarily see. And especially in 2000, yes. you might not have seen before. And then you've also got quite an interesting. It's not at the moment, but like mm. Mino Ventimiglia, we love you, or I love you. Oh my god. I don't oh. know who that is. My, oh. He comes in later. Okay. And um, he's like this bad boy, and he lives with the guy who runs the shop. Okay. The coffee shop. Um, and then you have like Luke, and you have this really interesting dynamic between Luke and Jess, which is Mino's character, mm-hmm. about this like father son dynamic. So I think 
it I, for me I really like the way it explored these like very difficult relationships between people mm-hmm. but in a kind of like it will all be okay in the end yeah way. like if you learn to look at other people's experience I think the, I think the issue with this is that you're talking about things that aren't in the first yeah, episode yeah, yeah, yeah. I agree. and I think for me my problem is is that I wouldn't have got past episode one yeah I mean yeah. I think I wrote in my notes I probably would have switched it off 20 minutes in <laughs> I would have oh thought I bored no okay. and I mean, I'm glad I didn't because then I got the 30 seconds with the dance instructor who was by oh, far the best character. I love the dance But the fact that. that the show doesn't revolve around her then annoyed me. <laughs> um, and I get it's not the point of the show, but yeah. for me, it, it just didn't do it. I thought there was a lot of potential there, but for me, it was just wasted. But I can see the, I can see the audience for this. I am just not that audience. No, fair. Okay, fair. This is so much more reason than our first discussion. The first take turned into a full-on shouting match. Yeah, that's um, cool. We still love each other. Yeah, it's fine. We're still friends. Just. Even though I'm right. <gasps> anyway, <laughs> for my TV this week, I asked Alice to watch uh, something very precious to me from my childhood. So, Alice, how did you find Walking with Dinosaurs? So Walking With Dinosaurs is our first documentary that we're having on this show. We love documentaries! We do actually. From 1999, it's created by Tim Haynes. It's a documentary series that, through six episodes, that follows the life and times of the dinosaurs. Um, there is a narrative strength thrust to it, a lot like David Attenborough documentaries, but it, there is based in the science of the time. Obviously this is now maybe 20 years old, so some of the science is outdated. For example, none of the raptors have feathers, which we now know was probably the case. But I'm interested to know what you thought with this, because I was surprised you hadn't seen it, seeing as you like nature documentaries quite a bit. Yeah, I like nature documentaries, but I, I, I'm a mainstream person. So as in, mm. I watch the David Attenborough documentaries, but I don't go out of my way to watch any nature documentaries. Okay. Um, and I've also liked dinosaurs when I was younger, but I was not like a take me to the Natural History Museum. I was Herod. that child. I was very much that child. Yeah, I know. I still child. am that child. <laughs> well aware of that. Um, although, I mean, obviously they're very cool. But I really enjoyed it. Hmm. Uh, I don't know if I'd watch the rest. I think I'd watch them if I was like ill and I didn't have anything hmm. else to watch. And I can see that if I, almost like in a different era, I would watch the whole series. Yeah. Because it's like the perfect binge watching if you had the VHS and you were like ill and you had like your mum brought you sweets or something. You were literally describing me as a seven year old. Well exactly, but like because we have Netflix now, I don't know if I ever will get around to watching Mm. it because I have so much more to watch. Um, I liked Kenneth Branagh's voiceover. Yeah. But I wanted him to be David Attenborough. Yeah, I think it's I think it's weird. I think now if this was being done today, I don't think it would be narrated by Kenneth Branagh. I think it would be narrated by someone like David Tennant. Because he does a lot of those. Mm, I don't know if it would have been that. I'm not sure. Possibly. Actually, it might have been jo- It could be Joanne Lumley. Something like that. Yeah. yeah. But anyway, I asked Alice to watch the second episode. Mm. Because I feel like the first one is not the best episode. Whereas I think the second one is probably is. And is you don't have to watch them in order. Mm. That's the best thing about documentaries almost. Yeah. They are so episodic. Um, yeah, I liked it. It was um, the journey of a small little... Diplodocus. Uh, Diplodocus throughout the life. I'm just amazed by the size of some of them. Mm. Like, just blown away. When the Brachiosaur comes. Oh my god. They're huge! I know like they're dinosaurs, I should have been aware of this before, but I was astonished. So that was cool, I was left a bit awestruck. I don't remember any facts from it. 
Okay. So it wasn't good for me to be like, oh, well, now I know so much more about dinosaurs. But I really enjoyed watching it. Yeah, definitely. And I felt like I got a feel, almost like a historical drama, you get a feel for the landscape of a time rather than like the specific events of the time. It was just like, it's so weird that that mm. existed right where we are sitting. Yeah. Now. Yeah. Well, we're, we're sitting high up, so probably not like right here, but, no. but still like, mm. yeah. But it's why one thing with the walking dinosaurs that I think is really interesting is how almost realistic they look, even yeah. with the CG of the time. Because yeah. the reason for that is that it's CG dinosaurs done on real locations. Um, there are some animatronic models as well for the close-ups rather than CG, and they do stand out a little bit more now. But I I think the CG really, really holds oh up. Oh my god, it's phenomenal. Mm. It genuinely looks like you're watching real dinosaurs in a real surrounding. Yeah. Like, you sh if you haven't seen it, you should look up some at least some imagery or something from it. Mm -hmm. Or like a clip. Yeah. Because I can't believe they did that, honestly. The fact that they did that in 1990s. No, 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 even. Another thing I really like about it is it, it does sort of show you different species despite the fact that the episode focuses on Diplodocus. It shows you mm -hmm. like Stegosaurus, mm -hmm. Allosaurus. Um, oh my god, the Allosaurus. Obviously uh, I was a huge fan of the Allosaurus. And I know it's not spelled like that, but I don't care. It's Every time they came on I'd be like, yeah! And then they turned out to be the villains of the piece basically, <laughs> so it's quite sad actually. Yeah, I mean them eating the babies. They're such dicks, but also yay <laughs> And I think I think it does tell a good story. You do definitely get wrapped up to it, especially mm. I think the bit with the forest fire. Mm. Oh my god! That's, that's such incredible. a good moment, I think, in the whole, in even in the series as a whole, because they followed it up with Walking with Beasts, which is what happened after the dinosaurs. So you get like okay. giant mammals oh, and a similar yeah. process, and then there's Walking with Monsters, which is before the dinosaurs. Mm. Um, and they're good. I think Walking with Dinosaurs is still the best one. Mm. Um, then Walking with Beasts, then Walking with Monsters. Walking with Monsters was a bit short. I okay. don't think they have the budget to do a full series, so it's only three episodes okay. rather than six. But I love this series. It's it's very. I much completely get what you do, but it's not. It's never going to be like a tentpole thing for you. Yeah, but I, I mean something I had I watched it as a child, I would be like, "This is the best show in the world." Because it is. It's it's. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's probably in my top ten favorite TV shows, Aww, mostly know, because of the nostalgia. Yeah. I mean, although I think though technically it is very very impressive. It's it is. A very, it was worth watching. Yes. I would recommend. It's on Netflix. You have no excuse. Good. Right, so we move on to films. Woohoo! Um, I chose a really weird film for Sam to watch, mm. which I watched basically by accident on Netflix once. And I watched the sequel movie before I watched the first movie, mm. which confused me a lot. So, how did you enjoy Wet Hot American Summer? So Wet Hot American Summer is a movie created in 2001, directed by David Wayne. It takes place during the last full day of a fictional summer camp in 1981, and it basically spoofs all the sex comedies aimed at teen audiences of that era. And it stars basically every like fun American comedian you can think of, so yeah. like Amy Poehler, Bradley, Bradley Cooper. Cooper. I think this was his first film. Paul Rudd looking exactly the same as he does now. Paul Rudd doesn't so age. Fit. It. Also, as well, Michael Ian Black, mm. um, tons of other people who you think, oh, it's that person from that. Yeah, thing. I didn't even know who they were, but I was like, you, yeah. hello. Anyway, yeah, Molly Shannon's in it as well. Um, I really enjoyed this actually. <laughs> I thought I was gonna hate this film yeah. when you suggested it, and I think the thing is, is you have to sort of. Rem it's a spoof, mm. 
So take it as a spoof. Take it as the mm. fact that the chef has a soup can friend. Oh my as... god, that's so. I mean, so as in, we're talking spoof, but we're not talking like scary movie where it's just like a bit over the top and ridiculous. We're talking like surreal nonsense. Yeah, like yeah. Dali's wet dream or something. Yeah, and so and the chef has a soup can that is his best friend, voiced by the guy that voices Archer, H. John Benjamin, and Bob in Bob's Burgers. Um, so it's weird hearing him as another really? disembodied voice. <laughs> but it was, it was very, I think it was very well done. I think um, it was, I think the awkward teen sexual tension was done really, oh, so really well. And it was so funny. And I think it was, it was, you just kind of let yourself go along with a romp. Especially, I feel, with Janine Garofalo's character, who plays the, the head of camp. Mm, mm. Um, she is amazing. Also, if you haven't seen the truth about cats and dogs, she's great it. in that. That might be one for you. Okay. Um, it's got Uma Thurman in it, but we'll go. Never mind. I'm not gonna lie. My favorite thing about this movie is the Bradley Cooper relationship, like with Michael A. Black. Oh my god, they're the cutest couple in the whole world. Cutest couple in the whole world. And also, I was surprised for a film in 2001 that has an explicitly gay wedding in it. Oh yeah. And and also a really quite graphic gay sex scene as well. Yeah, I was surprised by that. As I well. was I was surprised by it, but also going gas. Yeah, Fully support Bradley Cooper as a bottom. <laughs> They're such a cute couple. They are such a cute couple. I ship that. And, and, like, and all the couples in, in the whole thing are terrible, with the exception of them. Mm, yeah, it's so true. It's so... Uh, and Paul it, Rudd is like just the best at being the dick guy that everyone knows from like your teenage years. He's like, I don't give a shit about anyone. Let me just throw food at you. But like, uh, actually, they don't have any power. Yeah. All. It's... Paul Rudd, I think, he, he just has so much presence in this film. And he commits so mm. much. And he doesn't age. Could they sell Paul Rudd's like skin cells as an anti-aging cream, please? Another thing I really liked about this film was I like all the montages. Yeah. I think especially the town one when they all go to town. Uh, and I they, vaguely remember that. I can't. And remember. it's when so they're like, oh, let's all go to town. They all pile in the, the pickup. They sort yeah. of start messing around. Then they go and get fast food. Then they all get really drunk. Right. And then they all start doing heroin. And they're all like kind of coked out in a in a, in a drug den. And they go back and say, yeah, but what's going to happen when you go to town? Yeah. And but it, the whole film is ludicrous. Yeah. And the idea that it takes over one day, but like so much happens and. I would recommend you watch the second one. The second one's actually really fun. Okay, I haven't, I haven't seen the second one. And I think I think what I really love about this film is there are so many lines. I think one of my favourites is when Coop is trying to like profess his love to um, the, to the girl at Paul Rudd's coat sink, whose character name I have forgotten, I'm really sorry. And he just goes, I don't care if you're bilingual. <laughs> and I just, I was watching it and this cracked. I was watching this by myself and I was in like tears of laughter because it was so funny. Mm. And it's so absurd, and you just go along with it because mm. it is ridiculous. There are so many kind of moments in it, like the moment with the spaceship and the asteroid. You think, oh, oh they're just playing along with the kids, Great. and then the spaceship and the asteroid appear, and it, oh, it just. Yeah, so there's a series called Wet Hot American Summer 10 Years Later, which has like 10 F eight episodes ah, okay. about them all doing like a reunion so they all come back but it is actually very funny because they're still in like the 80s kind of oh i love that 1991 there you go yeah and then they're like they're, so that's really good fun and then you can also watch a documentary um 
Oh, no, that's, that's, no that's, that's, that's the prequel. This is the prequel, yes. Yeah, so and then there is a documentary about the making of it. Yeah, which is amazing because it's just like Amy Poehler high as a kite, being like, yay, we love drunk. making this fucking movie. And you're like, okay, Because you, you genuinely believe watching it that they had a blast filming this. Yeah. And I find it so weird that this was panned when it was released, critically. They hated it when this was released. But I don't find that that weird, to be honest. I, I, I find it weird because I think it's not a bad film. Yeah, but it's so weird. That it would take you a long time to be like, oh, right, okay. I oh, see, I think it's I got that on the first watch. I was no, like... No, no, but I mean, as in, you were vaguely prepared, right? Yeah, true. That yeah, was going to be surreal. But as in, if someone was like, what, well, American Summer? No, the comedians. And then there was like a talking soup can. You'd be like... What the hell is going why on? Why have you done this? Why have you not made a funny movie? Yeah. And then it is funny, but like, mm. only when you accept that premise. Yeah, and I think, I think for me, I definitely related to Janina Grotter's character, Beth, so much. <laughs> Just That's kind because, of worrying. Well, because I think it's it's just her sort of no-nonsense attitude to just, oh, this has happened. Let's just deal with it. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry, I just dropped my pen. <laughs> um, and I think, I think I did find it, my criticism of the film is I think it's a little bit slight. It very much kind of yeah. relies on, here's a sequence, here's a sequence, yeah. here's an overarching sequence throughout the whole film. Yeah. There wasn't really a through narrative, I think, but I... I think it worked in its favour because it is so weird. Mm. Like I think the, if there had been a food narrative, it almost wouldn't have worked because you would have been like, why are we seeing all this rubbish when we yeah. could be getting on with the story? What I love is sort of the little things with it. Like there's a moment where one of the characters smashes a mug and there's sort of, you see the mug smashed and then two seconds later you hear the smashing noise. Yeah. And I just, I liked that. It was the little touches that really made me vibe with this film. Mm. Because I think it, it works on that slightly odd level. I think in the way that something like Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure works. Mm. I think I prefer Bill and Ted to this. Yeah. Because I think Bill and Ted just has a slightly stronger story. Yeah. But sequences in Bill and Ted that really reminded me of this are the ones where like Napoleon goes and gets ice cream and then goes to the water park. Oh yeah. That if that had happened in Wet Hot American Summer, I would have just thought, you know what, I'm going along with this. Yeah. I completely buy that this is happening. And I, yeah, I really enjoyed this film. Yay. I think it's, it's one that I'm going to add to my roster of ill films. Classic, yeah, 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 I know what you mean. Because they're films that you, like, zero thought, put them on. Or like packing, you know, when you're packing for a holiday and you're like, I just want to put something on, but I don't want to care about it. Yeah. It's quite good for that. Yeah, because I mean, I've, I've got films... I mean, I do often watch Walking with Dinosaurs when I'm ill, <laughs> but I, I, I have films like, I think I'd add this to it, Miss Congeniality is one of my go-to ill films, Yay. which I love. Oh my god, let's do a special thing on April 25th. Let's do, let's do it. Let's do a live watching of Miss Congeniality on April <laughs> 25th. Okay. But yeah, I think overall, Wet Hot American Summer, really enjoyed it. Bit slight, but very funny. Yay, good. What a lovely result. But I'm, I'm now excited, seeing as we talked about Drag Race at the start of this episode, Yay. to one of the quintessential drag queen films. So Alice, what did you think of The Adventures of Priscilla, Queen of the Desert? So, um, Priscilla, Queen of the Desert is from 1994. It was directed by Stephen Elliott and it follows two drag queens played by Hugo Weaving and Guy Pearce and a transgender woman played by Taryn Stamp as they journey across the Australian outback from Sydney to Alice Springs in a tour bus they have named Priscilla, along the way encountering various groups and individuals of quirkiness levels. And I want to know what you thought of this film because I love this film. So. I really enjoyed it. I wouldn't say I loved it, but I really enjoyed yeah. it. Um, uh, it's just, it's a, uh, some of the scenery in it is beautiful. Oh, yeah. oh my God. Like, 
So they have this amazing shoe on top of the bus, like a giant shoe. Uh, a rooftop of a stiletto. Yeah, you as you said. Um, that you can sit in in full drag regalia with like wings, Beyonce esque lemonade kind of stuff going behind you as you ride through the desert, and it was just like, oh mm. wow, yeah, that is gorgeous. That's Guy Pierce in the shoe, who in this film is clearly having such a good time. Yeah, I don't think Guy Pierce has been better. I love Hugo Weaving. Yeah, and I also, and I know this is like just typical of me, but like the woman at the end, Marion, fucking legend. Oh no, Marion's great. I love her. I know she's not in it very much, but like, she... it was so nice to see because you're like basically the premise is that they're traveling across there partially because Hugo Weaving's character is married to Marion. Is married to Marion, which is obviously absurd because she's gay. Yeah. Um, and you expect the, her to be basically like maybe a bitch or like homophobic yeah. or something. And she's fabulous. She's so great, and she's raised their child in like the nicest way ever. And, you just want to love her. I know. You just, you're just so great. It's so great. And, I, yeah. Oh, and just it was the, such a wholesome ending. Such a wholesome ending for a film that kind of has its raunchier moments. Yeah, and also very dark moments, mm. obviously, because it's dealing with like Australia as a country. I mean, Britain as well, but Australia as a country has a real problem with homophobia. Oh, yeah, definitely. So it's, it's got some very dark moments in yeah. it. Yeah. And I think, but, I mean, but then also there are some dark moments that it really subverts, like when Bernadette, Terence Stamp's character, um, is telling the story about kind of the uncle in the bath. Mm. Is that is does is that Bernadette's story? Or is that Guy Pearce's story? Guy Pearce's story, Guy story um, about the uncle in the bath, and you think, oh no, this is going somewhere, and then what actually happens is he pulls the plug out, and the uncle gets sucked into the plug hole, <laughs> and you, you just well, think, you think, oh, that's gross, but also you get what you deserve. Yeah, and then but then even despite that like funniness there, obviously it's a dark story, mm. and by the end you see Hugo Weaving's kid. I can get that way. Basically, like having the, a whale of a time with the drag queens, like yeah. putting on dresses, but also putting on like his baseball cap, and it's like just like doing whatever he wants, mm. basically. And you see Guy Pearce's character be like, just look at him and be like, isn't that amazing that a kid yeah. can be brought up in that way and he doesn't have to be mm. stopped from doing everything? So, yeah, I, I thought that was so. It was such a awesome The only thing I didn't like is the random Asian character. Yeah. Who is incredibly racist. Yeah, that character has not aged well. No. It's the only. It's the, it's the one point in the film I just kind of think, oh, because oh. yeah, because it, and it just it really sits it sits badly now. I mean, she pronounces all her R's as L's and all her L's as R's. Yeah. She like. She's a male older bride who was a ping pong girl. It, uh, yeah, who like shouts at him all the time about being a good husband. She can't cook for shit. Yeah, it. She's really whiny and annoying. It's like, why are you making the woman do this? Like, it's so unnecessary to the film. Why do you have to put someone down? Yeah, and it's such a shame when every other character in the film is so well found exactly. and so well thought out that this character really sticks out. Yeah, because every other character in the film, except the actually homophobic ones, mm. is drawn with sensitivity and like you realise that they're all nice in their own way. Yeah. And even the homophobic ones, you're like, you're clearly just scared. Like, you are scared mm. as a person and that is horrible that you have to take it out in this way. Whereas she is just like... She's just nasty. Nasty and unlikable and for There's, no reason. Mm. For just, like, kick shits and giggles. Yeah. Well, not really. Yeah. Not but really I, th nice. I think that, for me, is really the only criticism I have of this film, is that character. Yeah. Whereas, if you look at, like, the, can we just talk about the costumes in this film? Oh my god, they're amazing. Amazing. I mean, Although, actually, my other criticism is just based off of Drag Race. You <laughs> see their dancing and you're like, this is shit. Like, you're literally just walking around the stage in tiny heels. And I think that Drag Race has kind of ruined that for me. Oh, it has. When they lip sync, 
It's just nowhere near as good as Drag Race. And you see, you're like, no, do a death drop. Split, split, split. And then they just do fuck all. And you're like, no. But, but it's of the time. Of the time. With the, with the costumes. I think the costumes in this are amazing. And fun fact, this film won the Oscar for Best Costume Design. Did it? And it is the... Every film since that has won Best Costumes has been a period piece. Since this one. I didn't know that. I didn't know that until um, a YouTube series I watched called Movie Bitches, which I highly recommend, pointed it out uh, in their review of Priscilla. But I think I think another thing with this film that I, I do really like is it is the three central characters. You get that they're all at least friends. Yeah. Initially, there's a bit of hostility towards Guy Pearce from Bernadette, from Bernadette and from Hugo Weaving. But at the same time, you see why, because... He's annoying. He's annoying. And I think I... And there's, like, a tension because, like, Terence Stamps, Bernadette doesn't like being referred to as a drag queen because she's transgender. Yeah. And, like, it's, like, it's quite, taking on quite a lot of issues that obviously are still relevant now. Yeah. Like, quite interesting to see that. And, like, the idea that, like, he, Guy Pearce, as a younger queen, is, like, more flamboyant and more mm. out there, but it's almost because he hasn't been Had hurt that. and been put in so much danger. And you see him at one point being put in danger. Kind of... Not his own fault, because you never blame the victim, but as in, he goes to a place that he shouldn't go to. No. He wants to be safe. And you see why the older characters are the way they are. Mm. That's a nice dynamic. You see the embittered nature in them, I think. And it, mm. it does really... It does really make you think when these characters come on screen about what they're doing and what they're facing. Mm. Because you don't... It doesn't shy away from the homophobia and the transphobia in the time it very much kind of confronts you with it. And yeah. It's like, this will happen. And that's, I think, what makes Marion so refreshing at the end. Mm. Because you've had all of these incidents on the road. You've had all this kind of homophobic and transphobic stuff. And then you get Marion, who could be the character who is the cookie-cutter, horrible, horrible, mother-of-my-child homophobic character, yeah. pray the gay away, and just isn't. And it's such a breath of fresh air. Such a legend. And I, I love it when she's just kind of there thinking, yes, come, come and sort of yeah. experience what I've done and how I've raised my child. Mm. Like, how I've raised your child. I will say the bit in the hospital where they find out that Marianne's given birth and Hugo Weaving is in the chandelier outfit. Oh my gosh. I'm just thinking, yes, can every birth please have Hugo Weaving in a chandelier outfit? Mm. He's great in this as well. Very charismatic. I'm definitely the best lip syncer out of the three of them, I would say. Yes. I think he also has the most lip syncing, though. Yeah, but he also does it more charismatically than the other mm. two, because I was checking. I was, like, seeing... <laughs> But yeah, I, that was my only other criticism, that the lip syncing was just like, they do it for quite a long time, mm. and the first time you're like, yeah, and then it does just get boring because essentially they just march around the stage in different amazing costumes. Amazing costumes. But they're not really doing what what yeah. a modern day drag queen would do. Drag race, specifically. Drag race, yeah. Would know as lip syncing, if that makes sense. Mm. But I think one, I remember when we, because we, you introduced me to Drag Race. Yeah. And when I think season nine came along and there was the lip sync between Nina Bonina Brown and Aja to Finally by Cece Pettersson. And I got so excited because this song was finally lip sync and you didn't get why. And I explained, oh, it's in Priscilla. Yeah. And that was just a moment when, and also what really made me happy is that lip sync in season nine is such a good one and a series of awful lip syncs on season nine. Oh, season nine. But yeah, I'm, I'm glad you enjoyed this film. Mm, I did enjoy it. It was really good fun. So, scores on the doors. So should, should we start with Gilmore Girls then? Mm -hmm. So Gilmore Girls, I rated this 
a six. Not a massive score, but mm. like, I really like the show. I did think the first episode is the best one. But I can start you anywhere else. Yeah. It's annoying. No, I I gave it a three and a half. Absolutely brutal. I can't I can't legitimately give it more. That's so sad. But okay, okay. Walking with dinosaurs, I have to give it a nine. But I think there is a massive nostalgia factor attached to that. Yeah, I gave this a five. Which I think is I think is over. I think that's harsh, but like I really I would recommend it. It's not that I don't recommend it. I just I was rating it. I was like scoring it against Gilmore Girls in my head, and I prefer Gilmore Girls okay. for me. So okay. I have to get lower, and so I gave it five. Okay. And okay, so Wet Hot American Summer. Yeah. I actually like, despite having recommended this to you, I like it, but it's not one of my favorite movies. Mm. So I get a four point five. I think it's like a really weird movie. Yeah. Which is interesting because I gave it a six. Oh. I I I thoroughly enjoyed this. And finally, Priscilla, Queen of the Desert. I gave an eight and a half. No, I gave an eight. So which I think is 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 fair. Yeah, but I kind of took a point off for the lip syncs and took a point off for the racism. Yes. Well, and only a point for racism is quite generous. I know. Me, I think. Because I think the character's not in it for very long. Mm. And it, she's not a focus of the film. Mm. So now if we go to what's sitting on top, what's sitting on the bottom. So sitting very, very comfortably in first place for, <laughs> for TV is still The West Wing with a perfect score. With Lady Bird as our top film. Yes! Still. I'm so happy about that. Um, our lowest TV is still sadly The Last Kingdom, but Gilmore Girls is only 0.5 higher. <sighs> That's Which outrageous. I mean, I I I disagree. I think Last Kingdom is way more. Oh my god! Than Ask Girls. everyone else, and they will be like, "The Last Kingdom compared to Gilmore Girls is shocking." No, I mean, though nothing is worse than the ten-year plan. Uh, yeah. <laughs> nothing is worse than the ten-year plan. I still think it was worth my two marks. I disagree. So next week. Next, next week. week. Yeah, so, I think for TV. I'm going to ask you to watch a series that I've only watched recently and it came up on Netflix and I binged it very quickly and that's Shit's Creek. <laughs> I love the name. Great name. Up Shit's Creek with our paddle. Um, so mine is going to be rather intellectual. Yeah. It's not actually a very intellectual series to be honest. Um, but I'm a Shakespeare nerd. So you're going to watch a Canadian series from like the 1990s where Rachel McAdams got her first role called Slings and Arrows. Oh. Okay. I hope you enjoy it but yeah for films i i want i don't want to give you more kind of like heavy sort of intellectual stuff so i'm going to give you something that's oh well because priscilla was so heavy and intellectual well the priscilla priscilla had those dark moments no, in I, it I but i think i'm going to give you something that's just out and out silly yeah. which is tucker and dale versus evil great okay <laughs> and i'm going to give you a very arty film very serious yeah. actually which is called loving vincent and it's vincent van gogh but with you know, it's holding the style mm. of his paintings, which is insane. Yeah. Insanely beautiful. So mm. I feel like you'll like that. Yes. Even if you don't like the story. No. So that's the end of this week's episode. Thank you all for listening. If you want to follow us on various social medias, we're on Twitter at Don't Make Me Watch. And we're on Instagram at Please Don't Make Me Watch. And we'll see you next week. Bye. Bye. Bye.